because we love baptisms here at Uni Hill Church. Baptism is a public declaration of an internal decision that you made in your life. You see, when you make a decision in your heart to follow Jesus, it's a decision that you make that starts in your heart. Baptism is about your public declaration of a decision that started in your heart. So there are four beautiful people this morning that are going to be baptised. I'm going to get Dave to introduce them. We're just going to use their names. They're all four people, part of our community. Uh, Two beautiful girls from our youth, two great guys from our community. And why Dave is going to do it is I've been told I'm not allowed to take the microphone in the water. So that is why I don't think it's risky. I think these hands, but hey, the mic went funny when I threw it. So we'll throw it to Dave. Let's give Dave a hand, our youth director. Good morning, church. Hey, yes, I did have to sit here because um, I'm a lifeguard. So if anybody falls in, um, you're not in safe hands. Um, but yes, we do. I'm very blessed to uh, be the youth director here and uh, have two uh, amazing girls from our youth uh, getting baptized today. And the first uh, getting baptized this morning is Saskia. So um, why don't we put our hands together for Saskia? She makes this amazing decision. And I'm going to come around and do this one. We're going to wait for the screen to come up with the camera on. Oh, yay. All right. Let's pass it, Charles. If the, wa- if the background lights go blue, Paige, it makes the water look clean. <laughs> it's for the video. All right, awesome. It's us now. We're very proud. It doesn't make the camera go off, though. But we're going to start. It worked? Look at that. It looks way more holy right now. So Saskia, we're very proud of you. So on your confession of your faith in the name of Jesus, we now baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Awesome, let's give her a hand. Amazing, Saskia. And next up, uh, we have uh, another one of our amazing youth girls, um, Charlie Manley Breen, who's also asked that um, her father come in and help baptize her this morning. So why don't we give it up for Charlie? Awesome, no worries. Hey, Charlie, you know you got the best name in the world. Really proud of you. You know, you're part of a great family, and you're going to be an incredible worship leader one day. So we love you, and this is a very special day. So we're going to baptize you, okay? So, on the confession of your faith in Jesus Christ, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Charlie uh, leaves, we're going to welcome uh, Abby to the water now. So why don't we put our hands together for Abby as he makes this amazing decision. Oh, this is awesome, man. It's on your confession of your faith in the name of Jesus. We now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Abby, a great, amazing decision. Congratulations. And now we have uh, Mr. Oh, I was nearly, I was nearly on there. Uh, Mr. Uh, David Bell being baptised as well. I have, I have concerns that Dave is not going to fit. It's great. I've never had to baptise a shoulder before. But hey, you know, for Dave, this is a uh, special moment. Um, uh, he grew up in the faith, uh, but never being baptised in full submersion. And this is something he feels God is calling him to do. It's his step of faith and boldness. And we're real proud of you, Dave. Um, so we're going to try and bend you into as many ways as we can to get you fully under the water, buddy. All right. So I'm going to hold your hand. And... Um, Judd's going to do the main bulk of the lifting here, so it'll be brilliant. <laughs> but on the confession of your faith in Jesus Christ, we now baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Is it on now? There are young ladies getting changed, so we're going to wait here until they're out of the room. So you may continue and we'll stand here awkwardly. Why don't you stand? Why don't you stand? Why don't we encourage these four people who've just made a public declaration that they're going to follow Jesus? And we're going to sing this song.
these are the perfect opportunities because everybody thinks the church is always scripted and to some degree it is but then things happen and we're given opportunities where this is raw and unscripted and right now is your opportunity to step into something that 
we are not scripting and we're not getting to step into His presence because it's here. It's so real. And if you haven't experienced the presence of God, get ready. Because when it comes and when it overflows your spirit, it's going to do something incredibly special in your life. So why don't you just take that step of faith, step out and go, God, I want a little bit of that. I want what He's got or I want what she's got, Father. Just show yourself to me, Father God. And let me have a little bit. And then watch God continue to pour and pour and pour and overflow. Just
children and that you have engineered every little part of us including the incredible plans that you have for us all we lift up Saskia Charlie David and Abby who were just baptized what a beautiful commitment or recommitment they made to you and we pray that they feel a new level of your Holy Spirit within them and that they will never be the same in Jesus name amen have a seat don't you love a baptism? I always get teary at a baptism because I get so excited for the journey that they're on and for the step that they've taken. I was speaking to my sons, six-year-olds, about getting baptised and they were super excited about getting in a pool on the stage until they realised they had to put their face under. So they've, they've upgraded it till eight is now the rough plan. Well, Miles told me this morning that he'll get baptised in Israel when we go next year. That's his prophecy over that. We'll see. Now it's time to release all the beautiful cherubs uh, and take them to Kids Church. Huge shout out as they go to the kids leaders. They do an amazing job. The quality, the quality of the Bible teaching is supreme. So rest in the fact that your children are in very good hands when they go. While they're going out, take a few minutes and chat to some people around you. I encourage you to talk to someone new. Step out in faith and have a new conversation. Off you go.
conversations to be reconvened over coffee later. Excellent, very well trained. I didn't have to get my teacher voice out. We're gonna hear a little bit about what's coming up in the life of the church. On Saturday, the 15th of June, we have a Holy Spirit encounter. So the Alpha team is facilitating this and everyone is welcome. Uh, It's at the North Campus, so here. If you wanna discover who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and encounter the Holy Spirit for yourself, then this morning is for you. So to learn more about it, see John or Linda Fott, it is free. So that's Saturday, the 15th of June. I think it starts at nine o'clock. Yes. Our Hope Tour is on Monday, the 17th to Friday, the 21st. So it's just over a week away. Charles has just given me the nod that he can't resist. I'm not supposed to be up here, but I get to do what I want these days. I'm loving it. Can we just give the Lord all the honour and all the glory a $28,000 offering last week, which is unbelievable. Um, Something is about to happen on that front that I don't want to announce just yet. Uh, But if it happens, which we're 95% there, um, another miracle has absolutely unfolded, which I will share with you in the coming weeks. But be praying, I probably stole all your lines, but you're the best. I won't repeat them, but um, just be praying for that week. It's a really big week and God has opened a door, but we know that when God opens a door, sometimes the devil tries to close it. So let's just intercede for them and be praying for them in this lead up that all details are smooth and the plan is smooth and then for the people that they're gonna reach in their week in the schools. Uh, Kimberly Douglas is coming back uh, and she's doing a health and wellbeing summit on Saturday the 19th of July. We're gonna have four sessions in the one day. So the, the goal is to reach 800 members of the community in one day and to get them to move through our building. There are four sessions. So they're all targeting different people. There are tradies, men over 50, young mums and women over 50. So if you wanna get together, have some fun, some food and some takeaways, eat the takeaway before you come because once Kimberly's spoken, you're gonna feel convicted about that. And then come back on Sunday and hear her preach. So you can buy those tickets online, they are $10. So maybe just grab a few for some friends, invite them along and uh, it's going to be a great morning. There are sign-ups in the foyer and brochures in the foyer. And if you want to know more or if you want to help out, talk to John Graham about that one. Okay. So we're coming to a time of giving now. If you need a pen, pop up your hand. If you need a credit card slip, they are in front, in the chairs in front of you. So this is often an unpopular and awkward moment during the service where people stop giving eye contact or think it might be a good time to just pop out to the toilet. And I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you, in our household, Chris is the generous one. It's just not something that comes naturally to me. I can be 
generous with time and with love and I don't have a problem with that but with money it, I find it a little bit harder being very honest this morning uh, Chris would just give anything and everything maybe that's why I'm here <laughs> so we keep our house uh, but when Chris was younger he was saving for a trip to New York and it was his ultimate destination place he's always wanted to go and he was saving and his church at the time was doing a, um, a buildings fund and he was sitting in a service and God said to him give all your savings and um, he did he just gave all his savings and he still hasn't been to New York but one day it is on our list and we will go there because God will allow us to go there but he constantly inspires me and encourages me to be more like him and I've noticed a bit of a natural theme in our church over the last few weeks about sacrifice versus comfort. And nothing is a sacrifice if it doesn't hurt a little. Anyone who's tried to get fit knows that if you aren't sweating and hurting, you're not gonna build the muscles or the cardio strength. It's that saying, a little bit of pain equals a lot of gain. If you're trying to learn a new skill or knowledge, and if you're not sitting and reading and practicing and going over when you'd rather be watching the TV, you're not gonna build the new pathways in your brain to remember those things. Pain equals gain. If you're, not, if you're giving money every week, but it's within your comfort and it doesn't actually change your life, then you're not living out of faith, you're giving out of comfort. Pain equals gain. This is something that I've been wrestling with recently. I'll give money to God because ultimately I know that it's His. But it doesn't mean that I wanna give enough that I have to go without something during the week or that I don't have enough money to balance out the bills. But what it really comes down to is, do I believe that God can provide for me? Or am I worried that if I give too much away that God's not gonna fill that gap? But didn't He already give it to me once? So won't he give it to me twice? A little pain equals a lot of gain. And remember, I'm preaching to myself here. This is something that I need to constantly prompt myself and stir myself and encourage myself with. Think of what that might mean for you today. It's not about how much you give, it's about the size of the sacrifice. So when you're ready, the containers are under the left-hand seat if you could just pass that along and give as you feel God prompting you. So now I'm going to pass over to Greg to teach us more about the Word and to introduce us to our exciting guests. Yes, thank you, Clarissa. I'm gonna take that. Didn't she do a good job? Let's give her a hand. It's not easy getting up here. So uh, they're just gonna do a bit of setup. Uh, just for a minute, we're doing a short interview. Um, so we have some special guests with us this morning and uh, Scott and Rachel Wellard um, are part of our missions program. Um, we've known them for about three years now. First, actually, we met Scott when uh, he was working for Harvest and Pastor Nick was our senior pastor here at Uni Hill Church. And they had a vision to go and plant a church in Liverpool. So from time to time, you would have seen their videos that I forced them to make for us 
um, and also um, me talking a little bit about them. But they're right here this morning. Scott and I have just come from our East Campus. So why don't you give them a big hand as they come up onto the stage and join us. Just make sure you don't fall in the tank. Unless you want to be rebaptized, Rachel. Have a, have a seat, guys. I'll just move this around so you can put some of your stuff there. So um, I actually haven't seen Rachel because... Um, hi, Rachel. She didn't, wasn't able to get to our East Campus. But um, what's going to happen is I'm just going to ask them a few questions just to sort of let everybody know how the journey's been for them for the last two years in um, doing a church plant from scratch. They didn't walk into any existing uh, church, either with people or facility, and been doing it out of your home. Um, every aspect of your ministry at the moment is from your home. Um, you have two young children. And so it's really a way of all of us at Uni Hill in both of our campus hearing from them. And then Scott's actually going to bring the Word of God. Just before we move on, I want to welcome Maylin Windham, who's uh, holding a baby over there. I know a lot of a lot of people here know Maylin. She's also planning a church in the UK. And uh, uh, we're on the team together at Yarra Plenty Church. Any Yarra Plenty Church old people around? Wave your hand. There's a few of us here. It's great to have you, Maylin. And Maylin and Scott and Rachel get together regularly uh, with her husband, Steve, as well. So it's just fantastic uh, coincidence that they're all here today. So let's start talking a little bit about how's the journey been, particularly with having, maybe Rachel ask you, you've had another baby. So you've gone from one child to two and you're doing all this ministry in your home. Tell me about what's it been like? How do you balance everything? Oh, it's not working. Hello, there That's we go. It. Good. Um, thank you all for having us today, first of all. Um, I think, you know, you probably all think we're a bit crazy going over to Liverpool on our own um, without a team to church plant. Um, but, you know, I'll just share this one thing with you all. Um, we learnt as we were there and exploring and understanding and listening to people that isolation is a really big issue in Liverpool, but across the globe at the moment. Mm. Um, we are a child of, of God. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There is always a place for us. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things for us. That's why we're over there. Yeah. Um, but if we took our team of 20, of 30 people and started a church, we weren't isolated do you know, I realise we are connecting with people on a different level because we are over there on our own. It's really hard, but I'm grateful for that because we can connect with people about isolation because we are there kind of isolated, yeah? Yeah. Um, but in another sense, we're not isolated because we have people like you praying for us, supporting us, speaking into our lives. So thank you very much oh, for no. that. <laughs> You're all doing the hard work. I think praying and giving is not as difficult as actually going and planning from scratch. So Scott, tell me, why Liverpool? Because, you know, out of all the places in the world you could start a church, uh, you went to Liverpool in the UK. As if there was another choice. Like, oh, it's <laughs> Liverpool. Any uh, Liverpool supporters in the room? Soccer? No, football? no Liverpool no. supporters? All right, Dan well, says no. Yeah. Okay, sorry. There is one here. There's yeah. two here. Well, I live they just there. won it's the no world. Choice. They just won the... We're not talking about that because I'm okay. here. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about the fact that the parade went past my lounge room window. You I'm not going to talk about any of that because yeah. it still hurts. You're here serving the Lord. <laughs> it's still in a roll. Uh, I stood on the docks in Liverpool when I was 19, uh, so almost 20 years ago, and I felt God say, you're going to come back and do something in this city one day. And I kept it to myself. 
And then when we got married uh, 13 years ago, I said to God, all right, well, I'm not going to tell her because I want us to go together one day. So you're going to have to let her know we're going to Liverpool. And I took her in 2008, 2010, 2012, 2014, 2016. Trying to send a message, and Scott? every time she looked at me in that city and said, although we're going to come to the UK together one day, darling, it's not going to be this city. It's horrible. Uh, <laughs> you said it. And, but then God spoke to, to Rach, and we left a year later. So, um, so you really had it in your heart, like in your heart in particular. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so... Maybe probably the best thing for, for both of you to some degree, share around where you live. So it's called the Rope Walks in Liverpool. It's right, it's, I mean, literally one block away from the city centre of Liverpool. But maybe just describe what the culture's like, you know, people's living, who's the demographic, you know, what's it like in the Rope Walks in Liverpool? Okay, so we live in a really dense urban part of the city centre, so right in the city centre where all the clubs and pubs and um, stuff is, but there are people living there as well, okay? So there's um, big, tall apartment buildings and lots and lots of people live there. Um, I guess that's one of the reasons why it's quite isolating. Um, there's not one playground in our area, not one. You think about that living in Australia. Every yeah. suburb, every street nearly has a playground. Yeah. So for one of the things I do with working with the mums um, and connecting them together, there's nowhere to meet them. Do you know what I mean? Because there's no playgrounds for the kids to play at. Um, uh, it's, it's a university city too. So we have 60,000 students drop in every September. Um, and they go, you know, the, the year after in about June for three months, they go back home to visit their families. So um, just the rhythm. Transient. Yeah, sort of it's really transient. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's got, um, what did, what's the statistic? Well, there's 11,000 people living in, in density where there's, there hasn't been a lot of livability um, fought out. So if there's an exposed bit of land, they're going to put another apartment tower on it. And so it creates isolation because apartment buildings aren't like, like a house where you yeah. can knock on a front door. Um, and then you don't have those places where you can meet people. And, and also, if you tend to have an apartment, you're usually quite embarrassed about the size of it. So you're not openly want to invite people over and have dinner Because they are quite with small, them. generally. Yeah, so speaking. our main issue is we're dealing with a lot of um, young people, young professionals and students, but we're also dealing with a lot of families um, and just density and lack of community infrastructure. So one of the main things um, I've shared with our congregations in both locations is your work on a Tuesday night, really your ministry of inviting people over for dinner. And uh, now you sort of got a name for it, Tuesday Collectives. So tell us how that started. Uh, you run it in your apartment, like everything they do is in their apartment, um, all their ministries, which we're going to cover probably three of them. But tell us about Tuesday Collective, the dinners that started and how's it going and all that sort of stuff. Well, we, um, we've been there two years now. Our first year was just spending as much time as possible getting to know everything we could about the neighbourhood so that we could finish that first year birthing a, a vision for what we could do in this space from that understanding. And so we understood really quickly just students living away from home, young professionals living away from home. So we came up with the concept of what would it mean to be mum and dad away from home and mum and dad feed you. So we started opening up our home on a Tuesday yeah. night to feed people. Um, you know, because people need a feed and people need that relational rhythm once a week of knowing there's a place they can go and they can connect. Yeah. Everything we do is based out of two core things we want to achieve. One is to be a presence of peace and security in a neighborhood. And two is to be a safe place for people to encounter God. So, um, you know, food provides peace and security. 
And so, yeah, we, we open up our doors, and uh, this year we fed 46 people around the table. No one's come and then not come back, which is great, because I've cooked sometimes. Um, <laughs> what, you can't cook, Scott? Uh, well, I had to do a lot of it while we were pregnant, so... Um, You've learned. I've learned, You've learned. yeah. Learned to cook in bulk. So, uh, yeah, we Facebook 46 people every Monday to say who's coming for dinner this week, and we average around 15 is the lowest number we'll have around the table. Um, we've never had all 40, but our biggest night was just into the early 20s, and that was 180 meatballs, so that was a big night. And um, we do it all on a budget of 20 pounds um, every week. And the cool thing is, because people don't have that capacity in their house, more and more people are saying, can we cook next week? Because we'd love to put this dish on, and we'd yeah. love to use this kitchen. So, um, And it's being run while we're away. For six weeks, these people are opening up our house, using our kitchen, cooking we've had seven people come and eat at our house while we've been away that we don't know yet that's so that'll be quite the conversation starter but that, that's um, that's really a testament to yeah. the community yeah. that you're building over the meal because it really is about relationship that's and right, building yeah. community so that i mean that in itself is an incredible incredible thing another thing that particularly rachel i think was on your heart that you've started is a friday um, morning mothers um, group or collective and it's a what, what I'd like you to share with our guys today is, you know, the isolation that the young mums have in that particular area that you live in and that sort of how it drove and how it's developed for the, for the Friday Collective. Yeah, I'll share two quick stories. Um, one is a mother that we've become friends with because Elijah in nursery um, and she, she lives just down the street from us. She has a seven-year-old and a little girl who's the same age as Elijah, three. Now, she said when her seven-year-old was born, she didn't know anybody in her area, not one person. And remember, there's no playgrounds, yeah? So she said some weeks she didn't talk to anybody with kids because, you know, as a parent, it can be really hard to get out and about. Um, and that's even when you know people. She didn't know people. And so she said, like, what we do literally changed her life because she went from being isolated and having weeks where she didn't connect with people to feeling like she's a part of a community. Yeah. Um, the other one was a mother, this is a bit of a funny story, but when we first were looking into um, uh, finding a place to live in Liverpool, um, Scott was trying to work out where the families were, you know, because we wanted to be in a family sort of area. Um, and we came upon this street, or he came upon this street that had the maternal health centre and the doctors and the dentist, and um, that he thought was a good place to, you know, meet families. Now, being a brave Australian, he sees a woman walking by with the pusher and the child in, the, in a little baby in the pram, and he chases after her. Right, Scott, you know, creepy. there's laws in Australia, <laughs> stalking laws. Really you couldn't creepy. do that here. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, the UK is a bit behind. We won't and um, it's cold, so he's even got a hood on. So it looks even worse. But this, this lady stops and was very brave and spoke to Scott. And Scott's like, oh, I'm just looking, you know, to find out where the family sort of, which is, sounds creepy too, right? To see where the families live in the area. Um, but explained a little bit, <laughs> explained a little bit about why. And um, she, it stopped her in her tracks and she said, I haven't spoken to another adult today. She hadn't spoken to another adult today and they'd been living there for four years and hadn't made any friends. So she actually was very willing to, stalk, to, to talk to the stalker, no, <laughs> to talk to somebody else, to talk to another adult. So I guess that sort of describes right. the isolation. Um, we, don't, we tried just doing a, uh, a play group 
but we it needed more yeah. really to be honest and um, it needed to be a bit more organic it needed to be at, like an actual community where we're in each other's lives all the time yeah. so I guess it, it came about because of a, a Friday play group we opened up our house we set up play equipment um, but it became a community so we talked to each other every day we're, f- we're, we're talking about the good stuff and the bad stuff yeah. come on parents yeah, yeah. Um, it's not always easy and it's really hard work and we're there for each other. We're sharing clothes for our kids as they grow out of things, just doing life, life together. together. Yeah. Um, and I'm just so excited because while we've been away in, in the same way, there's no one running it, but that community thing, that conversation stuff is still happening. They're still supporting each other, going out together, looking after each other's kids. Um, and I'm just so excited because it's removing that isolation issue. So, I mean, really, as a, as a mum with two kids, all this is in your apartment. Yes, it is. How are you managing the motherhood, family, and yeah. the ministry that's all happening in your private space all the time? It is. I'm social, so it's not so bad for me. Right. Um, I quite like it. Right. Um, for, for Scott, not so much. Um, but for both of us, because we're doing this together, yeah, yeah. Um, we talk really regularly about what you might think is really mundane, sort of like things that might not matter as much. Sometimes it'd be like, I just need five minutes away from my kids, please, Scotty, because that will help my balance. Um, It might be, I just need a bit of spiritual time with God. Or Scott might say, um, he wants to spend some time with the kids. It's just the really basic stuff. Not that he doesn't spend time with kids, right? He's busy, he he's busy chasing people down the street, yeah, right? pushing prams. We're all doing stuff. Um, but it's just the real basic stuff, checking in with each other on a really regular basis to, to find that balance. I was thinking of uh, yeah. a, a seat. Is it a seesaw? Yeah. 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 Um, if you stand in the middle of a seesaw, it's really, really easy to, t- to tip it, right? So it's just talking about those really little things to make sure we we find balance. And we do, we can, you know, have specific days where we say, nobody over, this is our day, we need this. We turn our phones off at night time. Everybody knows that. If, if there is an emergency, they can come and call the door. They can, they can call the door because we live right in the city centre. And these young people are out of all times of night and we want it to be a safe place for them. So we are, but I'm not going to be talking to them all night because we need our sleep. Um, and I have a lack of that with babies. Children. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Um, and just being vulnerable with people. So um, I guess in the Instagram world, in the Facebook world, we want to share the best part of us. But it's not easy, and we've opened our, our opened our lives to everybody else to say, "Look, we're messy, you know. We're a messy family, just like you. Just a regular, and we welcome family. you into that yep. messiness, yep. and it makes them feel safe because their world is messy too. Yep. Your world is messy too, you know, um, in in the most respectful way. So it's it's a gen- building a genuine connection. It's Absolutely. no sort of false facade that you're trying to deal with, yep. but it still would take some balancing between ministry, private space, family space. Let, let's um, jump, Scott, to your national role um, and then we'll talk um, about one final thing before I hand over to you. Um, so one of the roles Scott actually has is for our denomination in the UK, um, the Apostolic Church, um, in helping to actually develop um, new leaders within the movement. Um, and so effectively I do that here as well. And so we, we have something in common, although it looks structurally a little bit different. But maybe just tell tell our congregation around what you're doing in terms of training and development for the movement in the in the United Kingdom. Uh, yeah, well, the uh, the movement uh, when Tim Jack got over three years ago, he said that 
free things need to start happening again in the movement. We need to start planting churches. We need to start training leaders and we need to start sending missionaries out. So um, there was a lot of people waiting for the right training. So we, we set that up three years ago. I was working with them to set it up from over here before I moved. And in three years, we've trained 50 young leaders in the UK. That's fantastic. A lot of them will go on to be pastors because we have an aging uh, generation of pastors across the UK. So we need to be slotting these guys in to, to prepare for uh, um, growing into the roles. So that's been awesome. We do it basically by setting cohorts up around the country. So I go down to South Wales quite a lot and we're, we're training people across the Midland. And um, and I thought there was a map up because we were looking up at the world. I was like, that'd be great. Um, yeah, so down, we just set up cohorts. We do like 16, 20 in a cohort. Um, they do all online content, but we get together for eight Saturdays of the year and contextualize it. And it's um, it's been really good. We're training as many people as possible as couples, as opposed to just training one or the other. So That's Rachel's great. fairly involved in that as well, speaking into the couples with me. So it's going really well. And just, as I said, there was no training for such a long time. So we're hitting a wave of a lot of people who have been waiting. Yeah, no, that's so, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, certainly our passion at, at Uni Hill and, and Axe Global Churches in Australia, our denomination is called, is really training and releasing the next generation. You know, we sort of, we have an internal phrase here that the, the, the next generation is now. They're actually already leading. And so we need to be coaching, developing, mentoring. And we carry the same sort of heart and spirit in, in releasing people to actually lead as young adults. Uh, so maybe just before I hand over to you to, to bring the Word of God, you went to Liverpool to plant a church, and that's developed into what's called Rope Chapel. Um, and so just describe for us, you know, how, how that started. When do you meet? Again, it's, I know it's in your apartment building, um, so you're, you're, you're using everything for your apartment, but you've got a vision for it around where it's going to go in terms of really planting a church. So maybe just both of you describe a bit about Rope Chapel. I, I won't say much because I'm going to share a bit about it in the, in the, in the sermon. But uh, yeah, we went back last year. So um, after our first year, we decided we needed a quick season of clarity and we had to be something. And we became Rope Chapel and um, we decided to start a small group of people who wanted to learn about Jesus. So it was five of them and Rachel and I said so it was seven of us. And we made two mistakes straight away. The first mistake we did is we started this in May, which was awesome except everyone goes home for three months in June. So we lost three of the seven of us, and it was just me and Rachel and this poor couple over summer. And the second mistake we made is we started doing something on a Sunday, but in our neighborhood, you probably grow by about 1,000 to 2,000 people on a weekend because it's where people come to celebrate stag do's, hens do's, that sort of stuff. So a lot of the students tend to go home and visit their families. So consistency on a Sunday was always going to be an, a problem with under 35s. So we moved to a Thursday night. But um, yeah, up until very recently, it's just been the seven of us and it's been a bit of a struggle, which I'll share on. Yeah. But our heart from last year when we started was to launch into a cafe space and have more people by September this year. So that's the goal is to move into that in-between space, not a lounge room, not an auditorium, but, but an in-between space. So, yeah. yeah. Just add to that. Um, we really wanted to be a... Um, a safe place for people to come and to worship, yeah? Um, and to, to have an opportunity where they can come regardless of their opinions, regardless of their backgrounds, regardless of their walk of life. Um, and it was a place where they could come and explore with us. Yeah. So I guess that's another aspect of it. And that's the reason why we went with the word chapel. It's a bit of a funny word. You don't hear it as much in a title of a church. Sure. But um, the chapels are like spaces in airports and in um, 
you know, different community spaces, yeah, where it doesn't matter who you are or where you're That's from, right. you can come into that space and connect, and I guess that was what we wanted to we wanted to resonate, and that's why we called we called it that. So, how, how many people are coming to Rope Chapel? Yeah, I, don't know uh, I, I knew he was holding All on right. to that one. We, we won't go there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, with the the just from the mums group and the collective that we've done with that, um, about two three weeks before we came here, we had. Um, three different couples from that come and just say, you know, we want to start exploring this too with, with you guys, um, which is exciting, yeah. but they all have two kids each. So we're also going, we want to start something for the children as well. That's actually really important. Yeah. Um, so please be praying for us in, in how we, um, you know, see how that's going to look, I yeah. guess. Yeah. That's going to be on a Sunday because a Thursday evening doesn't really work for young families right. and parents. Um, so that will be on a Sunday. It will probably be in a different venue because we'll need two spaces because we want the parents to be able to connect and then the kids to be able to connect. And sometimes that doesn't work so well when you're all in the one space. No, no definitely. <laughs> sometimes. And uh, really, you're, I mean, I was saying to Scott on the drive here from our East Campus just before that you'll end up with two very distinct church congregations different needs different ministry opportunities so what a great couple why don't you give them a thank hand you. thank you very much for sharing with us we're just going to quickly do a reset yeah guys just come and uh, move this away bring up the pulpit while you come scott's actually going to bring the word of god and um he did an incredible incredible job at east you're going to love what he's got to share and um, look, as part of our missionary support program, we continue to pray for them as a church. We've been financially supporting them uh, for the last two years. And it's an amazing how when you hear the stories of people coming to faith for the very first time, um, that's part of what we're sowing into in supporting and getting behind Scott and Rachel. So Scott, God bless you. Bring us the word of God. Let's thank the worship team as well. They've been playing very softly in the background here. Are you guys staying up? Oh, come on. I don't want to be on my own up here. Huh? All right. <laughs> um, so that, all that family stuff sounded really cool that Rachel's doing, this network of mums. And, and any time a, a new mum puts on a, a Facebook group in Liverpool that she's just moved to the city, within four days she's around at our house with whatever mums Rachel can gather. And it's all great. It's all exciting. But as dads, we know that tends to happen independent of our involvement, right? This happens off to the side. Except, now it's going so well, I'm getting set up on very awkward dad dates on a Saturday, on a quite frequent basis, you know? So Ed Dad's been told by his excited wife that I'm really close now with this lady named Rachel and her husband's a pastor and you've got to go and hang out with him and his kids this Saturday. That's really awkward. It's really awkward. And so that, that's my punishment. Um, it's the life I live. Not to mention punishment. Nothing happened in the UK for the last 12 months. Nothing. Not even Brexit. Brexit's not even happening. They've made a decision to leave Europe, but they don't actually want to leave Europe. But the best bit about Brexit is it reminds me that Northern Ireland's there. Uh, I didn't know it was there until that point. But nothing's happened all year. Then I leave the UK for five weeks and the Prime Minister resigns. Trump visits, which would have been awesome to see how people reacted to that. And then my football team win the Champions League and have a parade through my town. Never leaving again. <laughs> we had a baby. She had to meet her family. It's happened now. Now um, I'll just send her ahead. Uh, 
It's, it's, it is, look, it's, it's, uh, we're quite excited and there's, there's lots to share. And I love sharing about our church planning journey because it's been exciting. Like two years ago this week, I spoke at Uni Hill and three days later, we got on an airplane with four suitcases and started our journey in Liverpool. You were the last church we, we spoke to that we visited and then we're doing that again on Wednesday. So <laughs> we're ending our trip with you guys. But as much as I like telling all the exciting stories, I also want to be honest and let you guys know sometimes when it isn't as exciting, when it doesn't feel as fun. And that's how I started this year. I started this year really wrestling with where we were at and the results that I expected to see. And what reminded me when I was thinking about this now and through it is it reminded me of when the prophet Elijah once said, I have had enough, Lord. I have had enough, Lord. That could have been my exact sentence at the beginning of this year. I wasn't thinking about New Year's resolutions. I was thinking about how grumpy I was with the lack of resolutions met the previous year. And so when Elijah said, I have had enough, Lord, it said in 1 Kings 19, 9 to 10, it says that there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, but the Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I like to call this as the time in the Bible where Elijah hung out in the cave of despair. And I, that's how I felt at the start of this year. I felt like I had had enough. And so my wife is very patient. I looked at her and I said, you know I'm not going to quit. I know I'm not going to quit. God knows I'm not going to quit. But for the rest of this week, I'm going to pretend like I have and just play Xbox. And then I'll grow up on Saturday. Now, I think the patience is because I might have been quitting what God wanted me to do, but I was also trying to quit parenthood at the same time and just play Xbox. And so I started a year in the cave of despair. You know, and I think we've all, we've all had moments like that. We've all found ourselves in that cave. And I think the reality is there's a tension between what we expect to see as results and the reality of what God's actually doing. And when we find ourselves in these moments of frustration, when we find ourselves in the cave, it has very little to do with what God is actually doing and has everything to do with what we want Him to be doing or the results we want to be seeing. I was in the cave of despair because I had a congregation of seven people. Now, when you have a congregation of seven people, a bad night is you and your wife looking at the poor student who turned up on their own <laughs> in your lounge room. An even worse night is when your mother-in-law flies over for the birth of your daughter. Now it's you, your mother-in-law, and your wife staring at the poor student who turned up on their own. Thankfully, it's been a different student in each of those stories. <laughs> but that was about me. It wasn't about what God was doing. So I'm sitting there thinking, I failed you, God, in what you asked me to do. So that makes you go to self-pity. And the cave, the cave of isolation, the cave of despair leads you to what I just said, isolation just isolates you from everyone as you deal with your own stuff. But what I love, especially in this story, that's why I go to the passage and show you the biblical example of a prophet chucking a wobbly, is I love looking at Elijah because of the patience of God. How God handles him is very similar to how he handles us when we have these moments. You see, what he does is he, 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 he asks honesty from you. God's question to Elijah in that moment was, what are you doing here? Now, Elijah was very forthcoming in a response, 
But it wasn't a response that answered the question. Because Elijah answers with why he's in the cave. But that wasn't the question. God didn't ask, why are you here? God's very aware of the situation, everything that's happening or not happening. But he asks, what are you doing here? The answer to the what is nothing. My answer was, I'm playing Xbox. Feeling sorry for myself. God asked you, what are you doing here? And the truth is, nothing. I've put myself out of action. I've put myself on the shelf. I've put myself out of commission. I've given in. And then God responds to Elijah simply by recommissioning him. And it's beautiful. It it goes on to say, the Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. The voice said again, what are you doing here, Elijah? The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Elijah had to confront the reality of the truth. I'm doing nothing. I've put myself out of commission. And in a whisper, God simply put him back into commission. And we're meant to be in commission. See, a relationship with God doesn't work without movement. It's not going to affect our identity if it doesn't affect our purpose. To love God intimately means to also move with God into His commission. So we've been given a commission, an everyday action commission. And so God's made it really clear. When He first sent His disciples out the first time, He said, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. But then He went on after His resurrection to give one commission for all time, and it is simply this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always till the very end of the day. Now, that commission is repeated across the Gospels and in Acts. And where it says here, go and make disciples, in other parts it says, go and preach, it says, go and witness, it says, go and share what's happening in here. Let others be aware of what you are now aware of. That grace of God that you are thriving under is for others, so go and share it. We are meant to be commissioned. The problem is, it's called the Great Commission. The minute you call something great, it personally deconnects us from it. Because it's great. It's greater than us. It's big. It's someone else's problem. But it's our commission, your commission, my commission. And the reason I share this is because as I've gone to Liverpool, I found out I very quickly became a novelty. Not to the people in Liverpool. They don't have no idea why I wanted to come from Australia to the UK. I mean, Google couldn't figure it out. When I, I Googled relocating UK, Australia to the UK, it changed my direction for a whole page. So we just don't make sense in Liverpool. But for the rest of the world, churches who have us come and speak, we are a novelty. We're doing something big. We're doing something exciting. So people come up to me after church and they say, pray for my calling, pastor. I want to know what my calling is. I want to know what I'm called to. I, I can't do anything because I, God hasn't given me my calling. I want to tell you something really clearly. Your calling will never call you from the commission. Your calling will never call you from the commission. The commission and the calling will always be so intimately connected that if you just gave yourself to the commission, when your calling came, you'd be equipped and ready. 
The calling got me to Liverpool. The commission gave me something to do when I got there. We can't romanticize the calling to the point where we're not even on the shelf because we're in the cave of despair. We're on the shelf of in movement. We're on the shelf of waiting for that big, great, exciting thing. The commission is where it's at. It's what we're meant to do. The minute we get this good news, we got to start sharing it. And let me be careful. We're not sharing it because we're trying to earn and secure our salvation. That's dealt with. When you choose to follow Jesus through faith and repentance, and what we teach in Liverpool is faith is there is a God. Repentance is you're not it. It works for under 35s, I got to tell you. It's got to start there before you can wrap your heart around the bigger part. So like in every choice in your life, should I do this, should I not do this? Well, if I'm not God and you are, then I'm not going to do it. Salvation's been dealt with. We're secure in that. We're not sharing the good news to try to earn a place in heaven or a better place in heaven. We're sharing the good news because we're under God's grace. So we're not changing because we have to or for anything to do with us. We're changing out of a gratitude towards that grace. And after that builds up in us, there's no... There's no thing other we can do than to get that out and want that for others. It's beautiful that God chooses the people he found to reach out to those who haven't found him yet. It's a beautiful thing to be a part of. So I, I need to say that because I'm not saying you're commissioned, you're supposed to be doing it, you're earning something. No, it's the result of the grace that we're experiencing. So my calling got me to Liverpool, but my commission gave me something to do. I remember the first week we got to Liverpool, we took two weeks off as a family to, uh, to settle in, which meant I lasted about five days and then wanted to start doing something. But I remember the first day just sitting in the, in the cafe and be like, oh, what do I do now? What do I do now? You know? Uh, well, I'm in a cafe and there's people around me. That's a good start. You can only send so many excited emails back to Australia before you've got nothing left to tell. <laughs> But here I am at the start of the year in the cave of despair because I'm not seeing the results I wanted to see. There's seven of us in the congregation. Now, it was all right in September because I'm like, you know, we're going to make disciples and let the church figure itself out. But I still thought I'd be Hillsong in three weeks. So now it's been six months and there's still seven of us. And it's not happening. And I'm like, we need another couple. That's what we really need because these guys are new Christians. We need another couple come in, fire things up. We had four different couples come and feel called to be with us. But they didn't stay because they're like, oh no, this is what church looks like at the beginning. We'll come back when there is church. Or if you can't guarantee us somewhere to live, God can't be calling us here. Oh, I didn't get a place to live. I had to go find one. But I just want to tell you three stories that changed everything this year. And I want to tell you where we're actually at now. But these only happen after I crawled out of the cave of despair, decided to be a parent again, decided to be a pastor again, decided to be a Christian again. I haven't touched the Xbox since. <laughs> it's just sitting there. I haven't touched it. The first problem we had is we lost two people at the end of summer last year. So the students came back, but the two we spent summer with got a job in Bristol. And so I joined the Liverpool basketball team. I'm having a midlife crisis. I'm a 37-year-old that thinks he can still play rep basketball with kids 15 years younger than him. I got on a team. I got into the top eight. And then four days before the first game, this Welsh kid lands on my knee and shreds my meniscus. So I was out for six months. And so I go to him, I'm like, you don't know this, but because you're new, you've just come up after all summer, but I'm a pastor. I don't really push that around, but do you know the rule? He's like, what's the rule? I'm like, well, if you break the pastor's knee, you've got to come to church. Now, we've moved to Thursday night at this point because it works better. So he came the next night. And he loved it so much. The next week, he dragged a kid from his university team who also just moved to the area. He's like, you need this. And then he came. So then we were at seven again. 
And so Cam, the one who busted my knee, he's running the church while we're away. He not only came to church, he found Jesus. He's been discipled and he's leading other people to Christ. Live in the commission. So he was in the congregation and, and we were growing him and, and another girl named Emily, who no one ever really thought of because she's shy and she doesn't really talk much. But she's in Liverpool at the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts for dancing, which if you can't get in London, you go to Liverpool, it's prestigious. So she might be shy, but she's got something to say. And so when, that, when we went away to Scotland early in the year, I said to Cam and Emily, I was like, I need you guys to run church while I wait. Cam, be the energy. Emily, be the grown-up. And it worked perfectly. So anyway, we were developing something in them, but this is the turning point. A girl um, was coming to dinners on a Tuesday night, and when we had our baby, she was coming around a lot more for extra baby cuddles, and, and um, she came to us and she said, I've seen every aspect of your life now except for Thursday nights, so that must be what makes you different. Can I come? I'm like, yeah, that would make eight. That's great. <laughs> Revival. She's like, but I'm an atheist. I'm like, you're still eight. Like, you're still the eighth person. But we had a heart, to, a safe place for people to encounter God. So we were preparing all that time. We had all that extra time with just seven people. We were preparing what would it look like if different people who didn't believe what we believed came. How could we create that safe place and that clear language that allowed us all to be on a journey at different stages? And so the first night she came was the crucifixion of Jesus. Because we'd just been working through the book of John chapter by chapter. So, you know, I don't know if that's a good first night for an atheist or a bad first night for an atheist. The only reason I call her an atheist is because lots of people call themselves an atheist. This one was outspoken in it. And so we shared. And then at the, at the, towards the end of the night, I looked at her. I said, if you need to put everything aside that I've said tonight, do it. But just one thing. The essence of the gospel is you're worth dying for. So what if you can consider that there's a value that's greater than the one you give yourself and greater than the value you allow others to place on you? What would it do this week to allow yourself to live to that value and worth? She was emotional. She was crying. Came back the next week, loved it, couldn't get enough of it. The next week was, though, we're not whole unless we're in relationship with Jesus. She screamed at me in the middle of church. That was the most obnoxious thing she's ever heard. Seven billion broken people in the world, but you Christians have it all figured out stormed out of my house. I don't know what I was thinking after she yelled at me in the service, but as she stormed out of my house, I tried to give her a hug. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I didn't get that hug. Uh, she came twice on the weekend because I was away teaching um, the, the younger pastors, and um, she came twice, and Rach tried to explain it nicer twice, but the gospel has a lot of nice to it, but it is also trying to provoke a decision about who God and Jesus is, so it, it can be a little uncomfortable and so I said, we just got to leave it and pray our butts off. And she came on Tuesday to dinner, and it was the nicest way a British person, it's the nicest one, way anyone's ever told me to never come into my church again. She just politely said after everyone leaves, I just, just want to let you know I need a lifetime break from your chapel services. It's great. I'm okay with that. You made me feel really good about it. Two nights later, she turns up to chapel. It's a quick lifetime. It's kind of like, you know, when your life flashes before your eyes. <laughs> so I go, how was everyone's week? She put her hand up. I'm like, oh, man, she cried the first week. She yelled the second week. I don't know what we're getting this week. She said, I was in a cafe this morning writing angry slam poetry about you and your wife. I don't know what slam poetry is, but if it's about me, I think this is awesome. <laughs> like, I'm like, this is great. And I found myself talking to a God I don't believe in, and he told me to get over myself. And so I'm here trying to get over myself. 
She kept coming, stopped saying I'm talking to a God, started saying I'm praying to a God. She's now a follower of Jesus trying to figure out how to, yeah. Now, trying to figure out how to communicate that in her life where she's been so overtly outspoken about being an atheist. She contacted us while we were away to let us know she's turned her entire journey to faith into slam poetry and she's been performing it around Liverpool at open mic nights. Can't wait to see it. So hope there's still something about me in it. <laughs> but that was the change point. That changed everything. And see, we weren't doing nothing for six months with seven people. We were being prepared for this. We were being prepared for growth. Since then, we've now grown to 17 people on a Thursday night, which does feel like a revival. Five people have come to know Jesus since February this year. Two of them were atheists, and others are from other walks of life that we wouldn't expect either. But the minute we started opening our doors and realistically trying to reach people before their labels, their children, and children can come to God, we started to change everything. But I had to get over myself first. I had to get over my need for results. The church doesn't exist to make me feel good about myself as a pastor. I had to get over myself. Uh, there's other stories, but we've got to move forward. I can tell you there's some exciting things happening that we're going back to. We've got that new small group to start on a Sunday because parents are responding. I don't know what to do in that space. These are like legit intelligent people. There's scientists, there's um, psychologists, there's aerospace, I don't know how to say their careers, you know, and I'm just rocking up in ripped jeans and a baseball cap wanting to talk about the things I'm putting my hands to. So I think Rachel's going to look after that group. <laughs> But um, so we've got these families to start, but we've been doing all of this out of a two-bedroom house. Now, we felt that if we could get the 20 people this year, we'd move in September after summer, not going to make that mistake again, into a cafe. We've currently got two cafes in Liverpool competing for us to use them on a Thursday night because they're shut and they're like, well, we want you in our cafe. And um, that's exciting. So we're going we're gonna to move into one of them in September and we're going to start the small group with the family out of the house. But we've had on our heart from the beginning that we were called to help the, the movement over there see churches planted. So it's good that something's starting and happening in Liverpool, but no one else has tried to plant a church in two years. We've had it on our heart to take other couples in and to raise them up to plant churches. And we've always wanted to do an 18 months residency. But we live in a two bedroom apartment. That's just simply not possible. And then I asked around, it's not like people have spare rooms in apartment areas. So we're at a wall. But this family that knows us lives like 100 steps from our front door, so overlooking the same courtyard as us, and they own one of the old Georgian Terrence. So, you know, if you've seen Paddington Bear, kind of like his house, or if you've seen Mary Poppins, kind of like their house, they're all connected, but they're large. Three stories, five bedrooms, beautiful. All of them in our neighborhood have been turned into flats, except for this one that this couple own. And they're our spirit animals because they're staying in the, fa in, the, in the city with kids. Their kids are getting older. I love them. I think they like Rachel. I'm not sure how they feel about me. But um, they, they brought us over and they're like, uh, look, the, the one next door became available. We didn't want to live next to flats, so we've just brought it. Um, they're like, how much rent are you paying a month? I'm like, we're paying this amount. And they're like, well, look, we need only 300 pounds more than that amount a month just for some emergencies after the mortgage. So we're happy to, to, to give you this whole house, three stories, five bedrooms for a thousand pounds less a month than it should be because we want you to live next door to us. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. The whole top floor is three bedrooms, a uh, kitchen, and a bathroom. It's its own space. So we are now in a position where we can take two couples at a time on an 18-month residency to come and learn church planning from us and then be released to one of the other 12 urban areas 
within three hours of us that either don't have a church but have high density of people. It's really exciting. So we're going to start that in January next year. All this is happening because what I found, and the reason I won't be afraid to talk about the commission is that the truth is people are looking for a gospel of grace. People are looking for relationships that transform and they are looking for a spirituality that's life-giving. And that's what we've given ourselves to. So we shouldn't be afraid and hold that back. We should be brave and share that. And most of this happens because we're present in the neighborhood God's called us to be in. We're not so caught up doing other things that we're not findable, that we're not there, that we're not in people's face. 6% of the UK currently follows Jesus. 9% of Australia. You got good weather, you get three more percent. 2067 is the current predicted end date of Christianity in the UK if nothing changes. 2067. You guys got to drop 3% before you get a prediction end date. And the last stat is every time one person who grew up in a non-Christian household finds faith in the UK, 26 who grew up in a Christian household identify with no religion. The church kind of should be in the cave of despair a little bit, I think. We should be asking the question, what are we doing here? Now, I know the whys. It's pretty hard out there. We don't have free speech. The media is against us, all of that. But that's the whys. A ragtag group of 12 disciples in Acts took on the Roman Empire and won. I'm not interested in these whys. They're worse. <laughs> it comes down to simply this. It comes down to our mindset. We're in relationship to move. But that can seem frightening. That can seem confusing. And that can seem hard. We've got to remember the commission comes from a whisper. I've taught on that a lot. And we think sometimes we've got to be really quiet and still to hear the small whisper of God. So if I'm Charles and I'm trying to hear from God and God's all the way up here, I've got to really still myself, which is challenging for Charles, and be really quiet <laughs> and, and listen really carefully for God's whisper. You know what the truth is? God whispers to us because... He's close enough too. You look really close to God. <laughs> that makes sense. God speaks in a whisper because he wants us to live like people who are that close to God. He wants us to be people that don't quiet ourselves for the whisper, but lean in to the whisper. He knows it's hard out there. He knows what we're up against, but he's right there with us and when we don't know what to say when we don't know what to do that's probably the best possible situation because that's maybe when we'll get over ourselves and let him speak through us let's be people that lean in close enough to hear a whisper that live as people who are that close to God serious about the intimacy but serious about the movement I just want to finish by praying a prayer over you guys I invite Charles up. Now, this is a prayer that we pray over each other every week in Rope Chapel. So I wanted to bring that to you. But this prayer, it's from Ephesians. When we don't know what to say and people are looking for us to say something, we just pray this prayer over them. I think it's pretty safe. You can't go very wrong. So I wanted to pray it over you guys to finish. I prayed it out of His glorious riches. He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Uni Hill people 
to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ is. And to know that that love surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Because He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is in work within you. So that to, the glory will be to the church and to Christ throughout all generations, throughout all of Bandura, throughout all the awesome outlets, forever and ever. Amen. Wasn't that fantastic? Hey, why don't you guys just stand for a moment, come here. Could I have some of the elders and ministry team, staff? I'd love to pray for you too. Do that now. Why don't we all stand just for a moment, reach out your hands. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful couple. Lord God, thank you that they've already made the decision that they will not give up, they will not surrender. Lord, that they recognise that the journey is hard, the journey is long, the journey is complex. But I thank you, Lord, that you are making a way. I, I thank you, Lord, that as they disciple people, they will bring more people. We thank you, Lord God, that it is you that builds the church. Lord, continue to give them both as they lead together, Lord God, vision. Both, Lord God, I pray that you would give them strength. Both, Lord God, you'd give them health, protect their kids, continue to provide for them. Lord God, I thank you that, Lord, as they outgrow venues, that there will be other venues provided. Lord God, thank you that as they need, leaders. Leaders will be established and grown and released, Father. But right now, Lord, we pray for multiplication. Lord, we pray that we will move into an abundant season, that next time, Lord God, we hear from them that there will be miracle after miracle after miracle. Because, Lord God, everything they do is for your glory. Everything that they persevere in is so, Lord, your kingdom will be established and move forward. So we ask for blessing. We ask for strength. We ask for wisdom. And we ask for more wins, Lord, more salvations, more baptisms, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a hand. Incredible people. You know, I've gone out for a few coffees with Scott, the only guy that can compete with me with talking. It's true. And he's bigger than me, so I remain quiet. Uh, but I want to show you guys just one quick photo. This is Micah. This is the first baptism that they've had at Unihill East in years. So can we give the Lord a hand for that? Uh, a little story. Uh, Pastor Nathan's out there. He filled the tub and realised he filled it in front of a door. So then he had to empty that tub, push that tub around. It's about 600 kilos once it's full of water. Um, so it would have been hilarious having a baptism and no way to get into the room. It would have been fantastic. Uh, so it's really good. Hey, we're going to finish the service today. I, I was actually challenged uh, this morning. Can I speak to you uh, from the basis of our community? I was inspired by the fact that they open up their home. You know, there's a scripture in First Peter. It says this, above all else, love each other deeply. This is First um, Peter 4, 8 and 9. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Do you know, I think about it. Do you know an easy way to witness to people in your world is invite them into your home and do life with them. Encourage them. Let them see Jesus in you. 
If you go, oh, I'm not the person that has the ability to, to be able to share the gospel because uh, I don't have the confidence or I don't feel I, I have the answers, do life with people. Invite them into your home. Love them. Love one another. I want to challenge you with this. This is a home. This is a church home. This is a community. But don't ever let people come into this place and feel like they're not connected. If you ever see a person in this place, they're standing by themselves, they're holding a cup, they're doing something. This is our home. You would never invite someone into your house and not speak to them. Would you have an outward focus in this place as well as an outward focus in your homes and in your community? So I should do two things. Love people in this house. Because the Bible says that they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. The second thing, invite people that aren't in this house into your home so that you can love them and that they can see the love of Christ in you. Is that okay? Amen, let's stand. Just quickly, I have a question uh, to ask anybody in this room. If you don't know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my Bible tells me that because I've done stuff wrong, the Bible says whether that be you've told a lie at some point in your life or you've done something wrong, it says that uh, therefore you've sinned and you've created a, a separation between you and God. But my Bible says this, that even though I was a sinner, God, because of His love for me, sent His Son Jesus to pay the price for my sin. Now, what that simply means is this, because God loved you so much, He sent His Son for a way for you to be back restored to a relationship with God. But it can only come through a relationship with Jesus. So what I'm gonna do after the service today is I'm gonna wait around the front for a couple of minutes. But if you wanna know more about what it is to know Jesus and know what it is to have a relationship with God, I'd love to talk with you. Is that okay? Awesome. Why don't everyone just grab the hand of the person next to you really quickly. Awesome. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for every person that's here today. Lord, I pray for the person that you're holding the hand of on the left and the person that you're holding the hand of on the right. Lord, would you speak to them today, practically, who to invite over for dinner, who to take out for lunch. Lord God, I pray, would you look and speak to the person on the left and the person on the right, that they would have the ability to see people that might be feeling isolated, see people that might be feeling disconnected. I was so challenged by the fact that, that, that Pastor Scott, Pastor Rachel are there to help and love on those that are isolated. Help us never to be uh, remiss to the understanding that you can be in a room full of people and still feel isolated. Help us to love with a deliberate act of love. Help us to connect with one another. Help us to love people in our community. Lord, we pray that as we love one another, people will be drawn to this community and will meet you, Jesus. Lord God, we wanna relate to everybody, as Paul says, in the hope that they would find you, Jesus, the true answer, the true life, the true person that sets people free. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Hey, would you stay around for a coffee? Why don't you buy a coffee for someone? Why don't you invite someone out for lunch? We love you. We'll see you next Sunday as we continue with our Blessed Life series.